Did you know that your favorite band also loves your favorite hockey team? If you love hockey and you love music, you're going to love Bar Down Breakdown, a podcast that explores the crossover between alternative music and the sport we love, hockey. Every NHL player wants to be in a band, and every band guy wants to be an, 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 you know, a pro athlete. With guests from all over the globe, come along with us as we interview some of the most captivating names in alternative music and talk about why we love hockey and how it's influenced us. You know, there was a, for a few seconds, I thought, like, well, maybe we should wear Montreal jerseys. And then I was like, mm, I think you should stay neutral. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. So tune in every Tuesday on the Hockey Podcast Network, where we'll have a brand new guest and a unique look into the bridge between hockey and music. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to episode 28 of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored, as always, by DraftKings Sportsbook. The tournament is in full swing and the action has not disappointed. This year's college basketball tournament has been shock full of upsets, including some of the big ones like Oral Roberts knocking off Ohio State, North Texas knocking off Purdue, a Bill Christian knocking off Texas, and if I can make a safe bet, your bracket is probably busted. But that's no worries. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. It's that simple. If you're like me and you're looking at your bracket with disgust, this is a great way to get back in your own good graces with 100 to 1 odds on any tournament game for new customers. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game for you to cash in. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. But if college basketball is not for you, there is no need to worry. DraftKings Sportsbook has 100 to 1 odds on select fighters for this weekend's UFC 260. And if UFC is not for you as well, that's still no worry because DraftKings has daily odds for any and all hockey action as we get down to the nitty gritty at the halfway point of the season. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So if you've been listening for a while, or at least the last few weeks, a few weeks ago, the Colorado Avalanche lost 6-2 to two to the San Jose Sharks, and I recorded an episode the following Wednesday, and I said, in two weeks, I want to see this team rolling. I'm done with the excuses. I'm done with all the injuries. I want to see this team playing to their potential that I know they can reach, because I wasn't happy. 
I was not happy in the least bit. That loss to the Sharks was embarrassing. And the Avalanche had a nine-game homestand coming up, and I wanted them to take full advantage of it. We fast-forward one week, and the Avalanche were doing okay. They got revenge on the Sharks in one of their games. McKinnon went down with an injury. I wasn't happy about that. They had a back-to-back with the Ducks, went to overtime both times, and they lost one of those. I wasn't happy about that. Then they ended up losing a two-game series to the Coyotes because just for some reason none of their shots would go in, and I felt better about it because they played well, but I still wasn't happy. Now here we are. Today is March 21st, and the Colorado Avalanche are absolutely rolling. They just steamrolled the Minnesota Wild in two of the most lopsided games I have seen in a long, long time. Minnesota Wild, by the way, like I mentioned at the end of last episode, one of the hottest teams in the league coming into this game. Five-game winning streak, I believe 7-2-1 and one in their last 10, including some impressive wins against Vegas in that time span and beating up pretty badly on some of these lower teams in the West Division. And... I and many others were very excited for these two games. This was going to be a fantastic litmus test for both teams, and these games were dominant for Colorado. Not even close. The Avalanche beat the Wild 5-1 in the first game, and then followed that up with a 6-0 win in the second game. They made the Minnesota Wild look stupid. They completely kicked their ass up and down the ice in the most humiliating manner. They they made sure the Wild knew that they did not even belong on the same ice as the Avalanche. This was bad. Bad, bad, bad. Beat down from the puck drop of the first game. And this is the Avalanche team that I have been waiting for for so long. We have officially hit the halfway point of the season, and the Avalanche have finally found it. In fact, we are exactly halfway through the season at 29 games. Actually, I think the first game against the Wild was the halfway point, 28 games, because it's a 56-game season, not a 58-game season. But regardless of the fact that I can't do math, we have been waiting for this team for half the season. And I gotta say, it looks like it's finally here. Because if this was a litmus test for the Avalanche, they passed. I would say that they passed. They destroyed the Minnesota Wild in every imaginable way. The Wild did not even belong on the same ice as them. This was domination from start to finish. The Avalanche in the first game that they won 5-1 to one, outshot Minnesota, 55 to 20. 55 shots on goal, by the way, setting the record for this season for most shots on goal in a game, and I think they broke it by the time the third period started. I'd have to look back on that, but Cam Talbot let in five goals in this game, and he still had an above 900 save percentage. He still played well. He faced 55 shots, and he stopped 50 of them. That is just how dominant the Avalanche were in these games. And 
man, Minnesota, I mean, they, you want to talk about a hype train that they had coming into this game. They were beaten up on some teams pretty bad. They had Kirill Kaprizov, their new young star, just torching teams like the Coyotes, and he looks like he's running away with the Calder, and Wild fans are finally excited for the first time. They're getting great goaltending out of Kapokakinen and Cam Talbot alike. They had beaten up on Vegas in the last two weeks, beating them twice in a row. Then they beat Arizona three times in a row, and... The Avalanche did not just derail this hype train. They sent it to the bottom of the fucking ocean. I cannot stress enough how dominant these games were and just how little of a shot the Wild had. This Colorado team, when they play like this, is going to win the Stanley Cup if they play like this. And I don't think that's a bold take at all. I don't think that's controversial. I think that's just facts. When this team plays the way they did against Minnesota, they will win the Stanley Cup. They will smoke Vegas next week if they play them the way they played the Wild tonight, and they will walk their way through the playoffs because you don't beat that team. You don't. Because Minnesota is not just a bunch of scrubs. They did not look very good in these games, but I credit that to just how good the Avalanche were in these games. I'm telling you, they play like this, they don't lose. They will not lose. Only if they get an outstanding performance from the opposite goalie will they ever lose a game. This is dominant. I mean, Kale McCarr finally back for this series, and you saw the difference right away in the first period. The power play right away is getting shots towards the net. They're out shooting Minnesota. I'd have to find the first period shot totals again, but I'm fairly certain that Colorado hit 20, and it might have been even more than that. I would have to find that again, but my God, was this, yes, first period shots on goal in this game were 25 to 6 for Colorado. This is Kale McCarr's first period back, by the way. Also, Bowen Byram returns as well. You saw the difference right away with Kale McCarr in the lineup versus him out of it. We just got kind of used to him not being there and Sam Gerrard stepping up in his place. Did not matter one bit. Makar is dominant, and he proved just how dominant he was. And then in the second game, he scores a power play goal, his second of the year, less than five minutes into the game. I mean, this, this was perfect. There were no weaknesses on this team. The defense was stellar. The offense torched Minnesota, and they didn't get goalied like they had been in the last few weeks. They had 42 shots on goal and scored on six of them, like you would expect out of a team like this. Now, if you have to nitpick a little bit, they gave up 31 shots to Minnesota in this game. Doesn't matter. Philip Grubauer stopped every single one of them. There were no weaknesses in either of these games. There was not a particular player that looked bad. I wouldn't really I wouldn't really say anyone looked bad in these games. I mean who who could even have possibly looked bad? Who played worse than like a B? I mean, Comfort maybe. He comes in for Logan O'Connor in the second game and I was not a fan of that roster decision and I'm very much not alone in that. I, Logan O'Connor has earned a spot in the lineup and JT Comfort has not. I mean, he just gets back from an injury, and 
Logan O'Connor's out despite how hard he works. I mean, he might not put up a ton of points, but he works very hard. But here we are. This is what we're complaining about right now. We're complaining about, oh, JT Comfer comes in and takes Logan O'Connor's spot in the lineup in a game that we won 6 to nothing. There were no weaknesses in these games. The Avalanche kicked the Minnesota Wild up and down the ice and sent the Wild all the way back down to that other tier in the West Division where they might make the playoffs, but they're not going anywhere in them. This was a stern reality check for Minnesota. And, man, how do you stop this Avalanche team when they play like this? When they play like that, I am actually curious. What's the game plan to beat them? Okay, so you you double up on the top line. You put all your effort into shutting down McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog, who all scored in this series, by the way. McKinnon with three assists in the second game. Rantanen scores in both. Landeskog played just as well. So let's say you put all your effort into shutting them down. Okay, well, here are the other goals in the series. In the second game, just because I have it in front of me, Tyson Jost, his second. Devon Tays, Valerie Nachushkin gets on the board. I mean... Top line scored two goals in this game. The other the other four came from other parts of the lineup. Back in the first game, Donskoy, I mean, this was a dominant game from the top line. I mean, this was the, this first game was the kind of game we'd been waiting for from the top line. I mean, you've you've heard complaints from me and other people that McKinnon hasn't been spectacular lately. He hasn't been the MVP level guy that we'd been expecting of him. And that criticism was fair. These two games, MVP level. He scores in scores the first goal of the series, and he it seems like he assisted on basically every other one. I'm pretty sure he had five assists in this series for six points in two games. And Miko Rantanen, Miko Rantanen. I mean, remember when he was on a slump and we were all concerned that oh maybe he's not, maybe he's just cooling down a bit. Oh no, he's back. And he is right back in the race for the Rocket Richard. I mean, right now, where is he? 17 goals, 16, 17 goals. And leading the league right now is McDavid and Matthews with 21. I mean, it's certainly an outside shot that he gets it, but he's leading the West Division in goals now. He is now past Pacioretty. And, I mean, McDavid doesn't score every night. He's more of like a four points, three of them are assists kind of guy. Matthews has been cooled off because of his injuries. I mean, ultimately, I think Matthews is going to win it once his wrist gets all better, but Rantanen's not out of the race. These last few games have propelled him up the lineup, and he is he is a force of nature right now. You can make the argument that he's been better than McKinnon this season, and you wouldn't really be wrong. I mean, his last five games, Rantanen has five goals. The only game he didn't score in was a game against the Kings, the second game against the Kings. He still got an assist in that one. I mean, last five games, the first game against the Kings, goal and assist. Second game, no goals and assist. Game against the Ducks, goal and assist. First game against Minnesota, two goals, two assists. And the final game against Minnesota, he gets a goal. This is what we have been waiting for. I know I'm repeating myself a lot, but this is what we've been waiting for for so long. And this is why why 
I was so frustrated with this team for so long because I knew they were capable of this. I think we all did. I think we saw all the talent here and how every once in a while it would come together in a perfect way for one game only and we'd be like, where is it the next night? And be like, this team is so inconsistent. Where is where is all the talent going? Why does it just disappear? And one of my biggest gripes for the longest time was that the Avalanche never had a win streak of more than three. They could never string together wins. Well, now they've strung together six. And now they ha- they're hitting the road for the first time in two weeks, and it's a back-to-back against Arizona. That could very easily be pushed to eight. And we'll talk more about that back-to-back with Arizona and the goalie situation because the Avalanche have indeed made a trade to make sure that Hunter Miska does not have to start those games. But we will get to that in a minute because I'm, I'm not done gushing about these games yet. This was perfect in just about every single way. I mean, Landeskog was spectacular. McKinnon was spectacular. Rantanen was spectacular. And it's not just the offense. It's not just the goals going in the net. It's the fact that they've been completely shutting other teams down. It's not getting any attention just how good the Avalanche have been on defense this season. No one talks about it. We talk about it because we watch this team every night, but I have not seen anyone care about how good this team is defensively. Again, you go to Evolving Wild and you look at expected goals against over 60, so just the amount of expected goals they're giving up a game, which basically measures shot quality. And the Avalanche are tied with Dallas now for the best team in the league at expected goals against, meaning they are not giving up great scoring chances. And the the shots they're even giving up are not very good, and they're not even giving up many of those. And they're they're ahead of teams like the Stars, the Canadians, the Capitals, the Islanders, and the Bruins. And by a, a healthy margin, when you compare just the differences between a lot of these teams and the Stars... Yeah, they're tied for us for the best, but look at how the Stars are doing right now. They're still struggling because they have issues scoring goals and getting saves, and the Avalanche have no such weaknesses. You go to expected goals for, which basically measures how well a team is shooting and the quality of their scoring chances, the Hurricanes are number one, the Maple Leafs are number two, and the Avalanche are number three. That's absurd. I mean, did you? I didn't see the Hurricanes anywhere near the bottom of this list and I was looking at expected goals against and the the Maple Leafs they're in the middle of the pack the Hurricanes are beneath them when you look at all of this analytically the Avalanche are looking like one of the best teams in the NHL and I know I'm just looking at two stats and that doesn't tell the whole story so expected goals for percentage the Avalanche have an expected goals for percentage of 59% and the next closest is Montreal at 56%. And that 3% difference, the difference between 3% between Montreal and Carolina, that's a difference of six spots. And the Avalanche have that distance between one and two. This team is good. This team is very, very good. And they are figuring it out right at the halfway point of the season. I hope they're not peaking too early, but I just, holy shit, 
This team is good. What part of this team has not been good? Like, that's the question I ask. Like, okay, scored six goals. We didn't give up any goals. We outscored them 11-1. to Grubauer had a 31-save shutout. We're getting depth scoring. Even a guy like Jacob McDonald, who is the lowest rung of the ladder on this defense right now with people getting healthy, made an outstanding play in the first period of the second game against Minnesota and saved what probably, I wasn't sure if it was going to go in the net, but McDonald never gave it a chance to, and he didn't need for Grubauer to slide back and make that save. This team is healthy. The only two people out are Eric Johnson and Pavel Francouz, and we'll talk obviously about the Francouz situation later, and we don't know when Eric Johnson's coming back, but this team is healthy now. They're very, very healthy. McCarr's back. Byram is back. Connor Timmons looks like he'll be back soon. And obviously, the offense is getting healthy. JT Comfer came back. I mean, you can have you can have whatever opinion you want on that, but it doesn't hurt to have a healthy lineup. And if you want to argue whether or not Comfer should be in the lineup over O'Connor, it doesn't really matter all that much when the team plays like this. Just what is what is the weakness, right? Backup goaltending? I mean, we're going to talk about that. It's not goaltending. It's not Philip Grubauer. He's playing out of his mind still. The defense, like I have said over and over, one of the best in the league. The offense is finally now reaching its potential and not shooting at like an absurdly low percentage. And even then, they're not like shooting the lights out or anything. You go to their shooting percentage on the season, they're still bottom 10. That's mainly because they're just taking so many shots. And man... What a difference two weeks makes, and what a difference even just a week makes. I mean, just last week, the three games we had last week against Arizona and L.A., frustration was at an all-time high, not because the team was playing bad, but because they were playing very, very well, and they could not score a damn goal. And if you remember when I talked to Peter Bauer, the athletic, I asked him, I was like, when this damn breaks... How how much is this team going to score? It seems like they're just so due. And the dam's going to break any second. Like, how bad is it going to be when this dam breaks? Even I didn't expect this. I mean, look at the week of games after the 2-0 game against LA. The four games they played since last Sunday. 4-1 to one against the LA Kings. Okay, that happens. 8-4. to four against the Anaheim Ducks, obviously the Hunter Miska factor in the first period for the four for the Ducks. So let's ignore that. Eight goals for the Avalanche in that game. So already in two games, we are at 12 goals. Then five to one against Minnesota. Now we're at 17 goals. And now you add six from Saturday. 23 goals in four games. This is why the Avalanche were the Stanley Cup favorites to open the season. And this is why people were so like pent up and frustrated by this team throughout the season so far because it was very clear that they are very capable of doing this and have been the entire season. It just it hasn't clicked altogether and maybe it was going to start clicking right before the COVID pause after that first set of games against Minnesota and Maybe it took them a while to break back out of it again. But, I mean, you even you even go back to fresh out of that COVID break, and they had to play Vegas four times in a row 
with Vegas plenty warmed up and the Avalanche fresh off of having an unexpected week and a half break. And they hung in with Vegas. They more than hung in with Vegas. They they beat them up twice. And they beat them in their own building 3-2. to two, And then they went outdoors and beat them 3-2 to two again in one of their better games of the season. And the two losses to Vegas were very uncharacteristic for Colorado. I, I write off the first one as kind of a fluke, you know. First game in a week and a half, and Marc-Andre Fleury's playing the best hockey of his life right now. And it also came back in the fourth and final game against Vegas. Fleury stood on his head, and Vegas played well, and the Avalanche didn't. It was just that simple. And it just seemed like it took a while for the Avalanche to figure it back out again. They had the this game against Minnesota, the 6-2 to loss to Minnesota. That is way more of an outlier than these two games. I mean... Minnesota, just to be frank, does not belong on the same ice as the Avalanche. In fact, there are only two teams that really should right now, and that's Vegas and St. Louis. And you can make the argument that St. Louis isn't either because they are not playing good hockey right now. They are struggling mightily. They're 16, 10, and 5. They're 16 and 15. And... They've played two more games than us, and they're only three points behind us, but they're a minus three in goal differential. They are five, two, and three in their last ten, five and five. They they're figuring it out as well. So if we were to play St. Louis tomorrow, and we we have St. Louis coming up soon, actually, I believe in the first week of April. Yes, back to back in Colorado, the second and third of April. So coming up relatively soon. But if they're playing the way they're playing right now, they don't belong on the same ice as you. I'd say only Vegas belongs on the same ice as you. And if you play the way you played against Minnesota, you're going to beat them. You're not going to beat them 6 to nothing. Vegas is a better team than that. But you'll beat them 4-2. I mean, doesn't matter how you beat them if you beat them. Doesn't matter if you win. I just, I'm so impressed by these games. And... Even the 8-4 game against the Ducks that I talked about in the last episode. You ignore the first period where the Avalanche looked out of sorts and Hunter Miska just couldn't make a save. They played outstanding. They outscored the Ducks 6 to nothing over the final two periods like they should. They played the way they should against the Ducks and completely annihilated them in the ground. And these games against Minnesota, I mean, my God. What Like, if you're Minnesota, what do you even say to that? What do you even say? Like, shit, we just got destroyed. This was supposed to be like our were for real games, and we got outshot 55-20 to 20 in the first game, lost 5-1, to one, and followed it up with a 6 to nothing loss. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov, did, it, did anyone notice him at all in either of these games? The Avalanche completely shut him down. The only goal for Minnesota in these two games was scored on the power play by Victor Rask. And it was a it was a perfect shot right over Grubauer's glove. I mean, I'd say that would have beaten any goalie in the league. And just a perfect shot. And they that was it. For 120 minutes, that was their only goal of the series. And like, really, that's it. Like, this was the Minnesota team that everyone was hyping up so badly and were a legitimate threat to the Avalanche and the Golden Knights, for that matter, and the the surprise team of the season. And that's that's all they had for us 
one goal in two games compared to the Avalanche's 11. They don't belong with us. It's just that simple. It comes down to us in Vegas, and we're going to see just how how good this Avalanche team is when they take on Vegas. I mean, I was excited for these games, and they were a complete destruction. And now you have Vegas in exactly a week on Thursday and Saturday. You, you want to talk about two games that I am very, very excited for? It is those two games. I want to see how this Avalanche team stacks up against Vegas when they play like this. Because if I can make a prediction now, I don't think Vegas can beat them when they play like that. Who can beat them when they play like that? And I know it sounds like I'm overexcited. It, it almost sounds like I'm the opposite of what I was two weeks ago, overly negative. And, but I really don't think I am. I really don't think I'm being overly positive or being caught in the hype right now. I think I just saw the Avalanche play at a Stanley Cup winning level. And you say, oh, it's Minnesota. You shouldn't react so heavily to it. Why not? Minnesota was hyped as being the next big thing right now. They're they're changed the perception of their entire team this season because of Kaprizov. And they're getting some of the best goaltending in the league out of Kapokakinen and Cam Talbot. And they were. In all fairness, they absolutely were. Kapokakinen coming into the second game had won nine games in a row and with a couple shutouts mixed in in there and some wins against Vegas. And the Avalanche completely destroyed them from start to finish. I really don't think that I'm being overzealous about this. This is the team that I have been waiting for and that I knew was coming eventually. I'm not saying that they're going to play like this for the entire season and that they're just going to walk their way through the entire rest of the regular season. They're going to lose some games. But now, I'm not really worried anymore. I want to see how this team matches up against Vegas, and if they throw them around, I mean, I'm, I don't expect they're going to beat them six to nothing and five to one. I think they're going to be great games. That's why I'm excited for them. Vegas is going to be very ready. They're a great team in their own right, and I want to see if we can do the same thing to them, and if we can shut down their best players with our outstanding defense, if Grubauer can stand on his head and duel with Marc-Andre Fleury, and if our forwards can get past their defense and beat Marc-Andre Fleury. These, are, these will be two of the most fascinating games to watch all season. Not the biggest, because obviously that changes as it gets closer and closer to the playoffs, and every game as you get closer and closer becomes the biggest game of the season. I mean, you want to say probably make a safe prediction as to what the biggest game of the season is going to be. It's probably going to be that last game against Vegas on April 28th, because after that, you play the Sharks, the Sharks, the Sharks, the Sharks, and the Kings twice. And you should win those games. I mean, April is a month that is dominated by St. Louis because we've played them twice this season. And those were the first two games of the season. And we are playing all the rest of them in April. We are playing the other, I believe, what is this, six games against St. Louis. Yeah, six games against St. Louis in April. So you're gonna, we're going to get to know them pretty well if they're going to be our first-round matchup in April. And our final two games against Minnesota, the 5th and the 7th of April, this team's good. 
this it's as simple as I can put it. As much as I've ranted and raved about this team over the last half an hour, the simplest way I can put it is this team is good, and this team has figured it out. And this team, when they play like this, will not lose. They won't. When they play like this, they won't lose. The only way they lose when they play like this is if they get one of the best goaltending performances of all time against them. They had 55 shots in the first game against Cam Talbot and scored on five of them, and Talbot still had an above 900 save percentage. He plays any other team that night. They probably win when he's playing like that. But not against the Avalanche, not when they're playing like this. And not when Nathan McKinnon is playing at this level and Miko Rantanen's at this level. And they they have Kale McCarr back and you see the difference and just how good he is. And one thing I will say about Kale McCarr is I understand that he's missed time and that when it comes to award discussions, that definitely hurts your contention status. But what, what did he miss? A little over two weeks and that's going to throw him out of the Norris conversation entirely. This guy is one of the best defensemen in the league. It doesn't matter. And if we go through the other half of this season, and Kale McCarr is as dominant as he's been this entire season, and especially as dominant as he was in his first two games back from injury against a solid Minnesota team, and he doesn't get the recognition he deserves because he missed two weeks, that's gonna, that's an, that would be an injustice. A complete injustice against one of the best defensemen in the league, especially if Drew Doughty gets a nomination for the Norris and Kale McCarr doesn't. That would be egregious. And I know it's halfway through the season and it's too early to make picks, but there was a thing from NHL.com where their writers had Drew Doughty second for the Norris behind Victor Hedman, and no Avalanche players were there to be seen, not Gerard or McCarr. And I'm not saying Gerard should win the Norris, but the way he played when McCarr was out and the way he's played this entire season, his name should be in the conversation. I mean, a couple of fourth or fifth place votes, maybe. From I'm not saying he should be nominated just because Kale McCarr exists, but nothing? No one had anything for him? And Drew Doughty? is second on the list behind Victor Hedman, and Victor Hedman is miles away from the rest of the pack. It just, I put less and less stock into the NHL awards every year, and I know NHL.com is not the PHWA, and, but it's, it's not that different. And NHL.com, the way they usually do those like halfway award things are usually pretty indicative of how they turn out by the end of the year, if I remember correctly for most of them. So Kale McCarr has an entire half of the season to just remind people how good he is. And maybe Victor Hedman wins it this year just because he's Victor Hedman and people don't watch hockey, so they just give it to the guy they think is really good and leads defensemen in points because that's just how we give out the Norris. I mean, Victor Hedman is great, and I'm not at all going to take that away from him and say that he's overrated because he's not. He is one of the best defensemen in the league, but come on, guys. We're doing this again with the defenseman with the most points is the Norris favorite. Come on. I know John Carlson didn't win it last year as he shouldn't have, but he was second. And Roman Yossi was second in points. Like, let's just, let's do a little better when it comes to Norris voting. It's time. 
Look at all the things, not just points. And Victor Hedman, admittedly, is very good in a lot of those other areas and among the best in a lot of those other areas, but it is still just annoying. And for Drew Doughty to even be in the conversation right now is insane. Yes, he's having a bounce-back season, and yes, he's not as awful as he's been the last two to three years, but come on. Really? He's back a little bit, and he's back in Norris contention? It just shows that reputation matters more than results when it comes to the NHL awards. So I hope Kale McCarr, if, I mean, it, this all hinges on Kale McCarr being as dominant as he's been, and I see no reason as to why he won't, just because he's that freaking good, and he's at, like, legendary paces for this entire season and his entire career. But I mean, fine. Leave Makar off your ballot just because he missed two weeks. Be wrong. Be that guy that left Makar off your ballot because he missed two weeks so that you could put Drew Doughty on your ballot. Give me a break. So when Kale Makar wins it next year, he'll win it in a landslide. He, Kale Makar is going to win Norris's over the course of his career. That is not a question. It's just a matter of whether he wins the Calder or Norris back-to-back this season. He's he's just playing out of his mind. And my God, are we so lucky to have him. And Bowen Byram is still developing. Sam Girard, in my opinion, one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. I mean, it's hard to be properly rated when you play underneath Kale McCarr, but he is absurd and has been one of the best players this season. And Devon Tays, man. The absolute perfect fit, and I feel like I say it all the time because I do, one of the best moves that Joe Sackick has ever made. I mean, it's pretty, it's hilarious that three of the four pieces of our defense come from two of the best moves that Joe Sackick has ever made. The Matt Duchesne trade, bringing aboard Bowen Byram and Sam Girard as part of the same trade, by the way. And not even from the same team. Gerard came from Nashville, and Bowen Byram was the conditional first-round pick from Ottawa that ended up being the fourth overall pick in 2019. So that's two members of your top four right there. And Kale McCarr is the fourth overall pick, obviously, from when the Avalanche were the worst team in the league. Never forget your humble beginnings, by the way. And Devon Tays is... His other best move from sending two seconds to the Islanders this offseason. And just, man, so good. One of the best top fours in hockey. And Bo Byram has not even begun to develop into the monster that he's going to be. And then you go to the offense. Rantanen, McKinnon, Landeskog. The best line in hockey. The Bruins line has not been the best line in hockey this year. The perfection line, as they call it. This has. When they play like this, this is the best line in hockey. And I know people like to bring up, oh, McDavid is the best line in hockey. It doesn't matter who he plays with. Well, that's not how it works, is it? These are the best three in hockey on the same line. I don't think it's really even a discussion anymore. Now that it's, and obviously now no one talks about it just for whatever reason, but this team is, is just so good. Let people keep ignoring the avalanche now. Let them ignore how good their defense is. Let people think that there's some high-flying skill team that when they run into Vegas or whatever whatever defensive team you want to say, whenever they run into one of those teams, they'll just lose because that's how it works in the playoffs. Let people think that. Let people think that this is just some soft scoring team that won't be able to get it done in the playoffs. This is not one of those teams at all. 
this is, in my opinion, the best team in the National Hockey League right now. Granted, when they play like this, when they play like this, they are the best team in the league. And let people ignore that. Don't correct them. Don't actually show them how good their defense is and how deep it is and just how much depth they have. Let, pe let people think that they're just some high-flying, small-scoring team. This is, this is not the Maple Leafs of the past. This is not any of those, like, young uppity teams that gets pushed around in the playoffs. This is a team with a lot of playoff experience now, three straight years of playoff experience, by the way, and has experienced some heartbreak in the playoffs. I mean, that series against San Jose was not fun to lose at, with how close it was. We could have gone to the conference final that year, and that Obviously, the series against Dallas last year, going to Game 7 overtime, not a fun one to lose. So let pe let them think that. Let people underrate this team. Don't correct them. Just don't even bother. You know how good this team is. I know how good this team is. Let, let people ignore it. Let them ignore how good this team is. They'll see. They will all see come playoff time. And once the spotlight is on, they will all see how good this team is and that's why I can't wait to play Vegas next week just to see once again just how well this team stacks up against the division's best this is our true litmus test I thought the wild would have been a good litmus test the wild are not even in our same league anymore like if that was if that was the litmus test we need a better test and Vegas is going to be that test but these two games against Minnesota not the only things to talk about right now because the avalanche have made a trade. They finally made a move, and it's for a goalie, no less. The Avalanche acquire Jonas Johansson from the Buffalo Sabres for a 2021 sixth-round pick. Now now I know, don't, don't everyone freak out at once. They got a goalie, and this guy is did not have a ringing endorsement, to say the least, out of Buffalo. Here is this tweet from John Vogel at Buffalo Vogel on Twitter. Jonas Johansson is likely going to Colorado, according to Kevin Weeks. I can say without hesitation that the Avs are getting the worst goalie I've seen during my 19 years covering the Sabres. He doesn't stop pucks in practice or games. And one of his tweets from January 2nd before the tweet started there are a lot of goal celebrations this morning. Nearly all of them are at Jonas Johansson's net. If he wants any chance of beating out Carter Hart as Linus Allmark's backup, or not not Carter Hart, Carter Hutton. Carter Hart's been terrible, by the way. If he wants any chance of beating out Carter Hutton as Linus Olmark's backup, he's going to have to get a lot better in a hurry. And also, January 19th, Jonas Johansson has not shown he's an NHL caliber goalie at all. Not exactly what you would call a ringing endorsement of a player being traded to your team, I wouldn't think. To have someone who has covered Buffalo for 19 years call him the worst goalie I have ever seen in Buffalo is not exactly, not exactly going to generate excitement from a fan base. And you know what? I think rightfully so. But you know what I think of it? I think that it's not really going to matter that much. Jonas Johansson was for a sixth-round pick in 2021, and if you're the Avalanche, you don't need that pick anyway. But you know what else? 
Jonas Johansson just came from where exactly? Oh, Buffalo? Oh, the, the Buffalo Sabres. And as we know, the Buffalo Sabres are the benchmark of making players happy and putting players in a position to succeed and develop. As we know, that's just what the Sabres do. Now, in reality, the Sabres are poison to any player that comes into that organization. And they destroy their confidence from start to finish. You, we have literally seen players over the years terminate their contracts and just stop showing up because they just don't want to play for this goddamn team anymore. I mean, you're, you're, you all remember the Ryan O'Reilly trade where he went to St. Louis from Buffalo. I don't remember his name off the top of my head, but one of the pieces from that trade just quit hockey altogether. He was just like, I don't want to play. I can't do this anymore. After he was in Buffalo for like a year, he just hated his life and could not do it anymore. I have to find out his name real quick. Was it Patrick Berglund who just was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And he's just like, I'm done. I'm terminating my contract. I'm out of here. Yeah. In December 20th, 2018, Patrick Berglund terminated his contract with the Buffalo Sabres. And he still had, what is this? about $12 million left to be paid on his contract. He walked away from $12 million because he didn't want to play for the Buffalo Sabres anymore. So I think you have to take anything coming out of Buffalo with a grain of salt. You have to ign just ignore things a little bit. Jonas Johansson does not have good stats coming out of Buffalo. I believe he's a well below a sub-900 goalie and is just not very good. He was, I believe, their third string with a healthy goaltending. And he's not going to be the savior here. But I can tell you that getting a player out of a horrible situation like the Buffalo Sabres and putting them behind a defense that actually plays defense and an organization that puts an emphasis on winning and their expectation is to win this season, and in Buffalo that hasn't been the expectation for well over a decade, I think you can be surprised at the wonders that can do for somebody. Now, I am not saying that I think that Jonas Johansson is just going to suddenly become an NHL-caliber goalie, but the thing is, I don't really care. I'm not expecting him to be some diamond in the rough. I'm just, I, I don't even care if it's a rock in the rough. I, don't, I just don't want it to be another pile of shit. I think he'll be fine here. I think you put him in a happy organization who wants to win behind one of the best defenses in the league. And you know what? Maybe you get within sneezing distance of a 900 with him. If he lets in three goals, the Avalanche have a chance to win with this team in front of him. They have a chance to win. That's really it with Jonas Johansson. Pavel Francouz, I think based on this trade, Pavel Francouz is going to be back eventually maybe around the trade deadline maybe not but now you just have more room you have Grubauer as your starter and he's going to still start the lion's share of these games and right now Jonas Johansson is your number two goalie until Francois gets back he's going to play either the first or second half against Arizona I would assume the second half of the back-to-back -back against Arizona and we'll see we'll see just what he's got we'll see if he can stop pucks, if he can't, he might get another shot. And if he can't do it twice in a row, we'll go to Adam Warner. We just, we now have an option. And also, 
We have to talk about Hunter Miska one last time, and it's not me ripping on him. I have done that enough. Hunter Miska deactivated his Twitter the other day this week because of just the amount of shit that he was getting from people online. And if you were one of those people that was sending horrible things Hunter Miska's way and messaging him and go and commenting under all of his stuff about how bad he is, you know who you are. I don't have to say anything to you. But I can tell you this. I think Hunter Miska knows, and I think he knows better than you just how much he blew it. He doesn't need you to tell him. I think he feels bad enough already. And for people to drive him off of Twitter just because of the horrible things they were saying to him, it, it was awful. And I'm I'm not innocent. I ripped Hunter Miska a lot on this show. But I don't have anything against Hunter Miska as a human being. He's just not an NHL caliber goalie right now. I think you can ask anyone, and he's say, and they'll say he's not an NHL caliber goalie right now. That doesn't mean he'll never be one day. Maybe he just has to go back to the AHL for a little bit and be reminded that he is better at being a goalie than most of us will ever be at anything we ever do. I mean, maybe one day he will be. Goalies take a long time to develop. This was not the plan with Hunter Miska for him to come in and be the backup goalie this season. Pavel Francouz was hurt from day one. This was never the plan. And yes, you can blame management for not getting a proper third goalie sooner, but that's not Hunter Miska's fault. Hunter Miska came in and did his best, and you could see that this guy did not have any confidence whatsoever. He was not comfortable in the net, and he just wasn't an NHL goalie. And he couldn't make the saves that the team needed him to save. They won one game with him in net, and it was just barely. That does not give anybody the right to go track down his social media and harass him to the point where he feels the need to disable it. You know who you are if you were doing that. I don't need to say anything to you about just how awful that is. I hope you, I hope you know that. And I wish Hunter Miska all the best. He's going to be with this organization, I think, for a little while still. He's going to play with the Eagles still. And we'll see what the future holds for him. Maybe he doesn't play in an avalanche sweater again. Maybe he moves on at the end of his contract and is just goes to another team. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he stays here and we just have him. And maybe once he develops a little more, who knows? Maybe we can see what he has in the future. I just did. It was awful to see that he deactivated his Twitter and that people drove him off. And he was a 9-24 in the AHL last year in 26 games, a very solid player for the Colorado Eagles. It's not a, like the future's not done for him. 25 is young for a goalie, and I know we judge goalies unfairly because most prospects are ready by the time they're at least 23 at the at the oldest. Goalies don't do that. Sometimes goalies take a solid decade to develop properly into NHL goalies. And you know what? Maybe Hunter Miskit isn't one. Maybe he never will be. But he's still got a shot. There's just there's no need to be like, this guy's a bum. He knows. He knows he played badly. We don't need to keep yelling at him anymore. I mean, like, he's got it at this point. Jonas Johansson's now the backup. Adam Warner is the goalie behind Jonas Johansson if he fails. And we'll see what the future holds for Hunter Miska. We don't need to bring him up anymore. Just leave the guy alone.
Leave him alone. We don't need to keep bringing him up. Let him play in the AHL. Let him get his confidence back. And we'll see what the future holds for him. We'll see if he gets a qualifying offer on his contract. He doesn't expire this season. He expires the season after that. So he's still going to be here for a while. But going back to Jonas Johansson for a second, I mean, he's going to be fine, I think, here. He is an 884 in seven games with the Buffalo Sabres this season. And people look at that and they go, oh, man, oh, man, we made a bad move here. I, we don't know that. And I'm not trying to be like an Avs homer or anything or that Joe Sackett can never do anything wrong. This move might go awfully, and he might not be any better than Hunter Miska was. But we don't know yet. We just don't. And we don't know the effect that bringing a guy out of a horrible organization in their worst season, by the way. This is Buffalo's worst season yet. Because they're not trying to be this bad. All those other seasons, the year they got Jack Eichel, they were trying to be bad. This is not one of those years. So to get a guy out of a situation like that and out from behind an awful defense like the Buffalo Sabres have and put them behind one of the best defenses like the Avalanche, I think we will all be very surprised at just the wonders that it can do for someone and their mental state, because that's not something that's talked about enough. If a player is not happy, they're not going to play well. And how can you be happy in Buffalo right now? It is the worst place to be in sports right now, almost, at least in like America. Who wants to be a member of the Buffalo Sabres right now? Especially as like the third goalie who's not playing well. I would, I wouldn't, I'd want to be on the first bus out of there. And to be sent to Colorado, it's got to be such a weight off of his shoulders. And yes, there's a bit of an expectation on him to play in a backup role. But how many games is he even going to play before Francois comes back? I don't know how much longer Francois is going to be out. But just based on this move, I would say maybe around the trade deadline, he could be back. And we've got three back-to-backs. Before that, so that's the minimum he's going to play if he plays well enough, and maybe even one of these games against the Ducks as well, or just any of these games at all. So is he even going to play five games before Francois comes back? Maybe, maybe not. But all we know is that we couldn't play Hunter Miska anymore. We can leave him alone on that now. There's no need to harass the guy anymore. And we have a new goalie. And if Jonas Johansson doesn't work out, Adam Warner can come in and we'll see what he has. Jonas Johansson's in RFA at the end of the season. He is he has makes literally league minimum at $700,000. We'll just see how it works. It's not a big trade. It's not the savior that we've been looking for. But it might be enough to at least hold the fort until Francois gets back. And maybe... Just maybe he can stop pucks enough to give the team a shot when he's in net. Because that's all they need. Just just a chance. Not four goals in the first period. Just maybe three goals in a game. That's all they need. That's it. So it's not a huge trade. They gave up a sixth-round pick. The Avalanche don't need a sixth-round pick. I mean, I mean, you look at the upcoming draft for the Avalanche. They don't have their second. They don't have their fourth. And now they don't have their sixth. I don't really care. I think maybe you hold on to your first if there's no deal to be made in that. And you just, I think you fire these picks into the sun. And when it comes time for the draft, you trade back on your first round pick. You trade back a couple spots and just get a few lottery tickets from other teams 
I think that's how you approach the upcoming draft. You trade for the help that you think you need at the deadline, no matter what that is. Maybe trade your first if there's something there because we're just not going to get any use out of it this season just because it's not a good draft and it's probably going to be a low first anyway. And But if you do end up holding on to your first after the deadline, I say trade back at the draft and acquire just more third and fourth round picks because in this upcoming draft, there's going to be some very poor scouting because no one can go watch players right now. So just get those late late round lottery tickets, as many of them as you want. I think there's going to be a lot of first round busts in this upcoming draft. I don't think your first matters all that much. But I think I've gone on a little long enough for today. I mean, amazing two games against Minnesota. We have a back-to-back coming up against the Coyotes on Monday and Tuesday. And when I come back to record on Wednesday for the episode on Thursday, we'll have those in the books can look back on those and what I assume will be two more wins. I'll be a little disappointed if they're not, but you never know. Hockey's hockey. We saw how the last two games against Arizona went. Maybe they make 50 saves this time. And then we'll preview the big games coming up against Vegas on Thursday and Saturday. But that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It As It Is podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Follow me on Twitter at GYoungsNHL and follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I have been your host, Griffin Youngs, and I will catch you all 